0: Hi, this is Tim Tedder. This podcast is just a conversation between the three coaches, counselors at AffairHealing.com, myself, my wife Sharon, and Jennifer. All three of us recently read the same book, Lovable, by Kelly Flanagan, and each of us thought the book had a lot to say to people who have been affected by wounds of infidelity and some of the issues that we frequently face in our own counseling. So we thought it would be beneficial just to sit down and have a conversation about the parts of the books that stood out to us and, and the applications that we would make to betrayed spouses, to unfaithful spouses, and frankly, anybody who's been wounded or hurt by life or disappointed in life. We've taken some of our favorite quotes from the book and put them into a free download that's available to you simply by going to affairhealing.com slash podcast211. I'd like to say one other thing before we start the conversation, and, and I hope that if you've listened to the podcast and made use of the resources, you don't get the sense that I oversell the products that we have. In fact, we hardly have any products. Most everything is available for free. But I do have available two books, and, and the reason I mentioned them is because some of the content in both of the Affair Healing books really do apply to the conversation that we have today, and, and more specifically... I just noticed that a number of the coaching and counseling sessions I had this past week, I thought, well, man, if you had my book, it really speaks to some detail about this issue and provides exercises and worksheets for you to use. There's a recovery guide for couples that has a careful explanation of the process of a fair recovery when two partners are cooperating together in their healing and it includes some exercises along with some extra information and that sells for six ninety five but the bigger volume. The Recovery Manual for Betrayed Spouses sells for twenty nine ninety five. 95 Now, I know that sounds like a lot of money. You can get a lot of books through Amazon or wherever for much cheaper, but this book is different. It's, it's not just a book you sit down and read. I mean, it has 14 chapters in it, but every chapter has suggested exercises. And in the back of the book, there is at least one worksheet, sometimes more than that, that goes along with each chapter as well. So the book was written as an attempt to get people involved in their own healing rather than just putting more information in their head. If you're a betrayed spouse, I hope you will take a look at that. I know it would be a valuable resource to you. For information on both of the books, you can go to affairhealing.com slash books. They're available in different formats. And if you buy the Betrayed Spouse Manual, you'll get the couple's guide for free. Well, that's enough for the selling. Let's get on with the conversation. Welcome to The Recovery Room, a podcast presented by AffairHealing.com. Here are your hosts, Tim, Sharon, and Jennifer. The three of us, Sharon, Jennifer, and myself, have recently read a new book by an author, blogger, psychologist named Kelly Flanagan. The book is called Lovable, and it has a lot of application in regards to the people we work with, probably you, if you're listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. And so we thought it'd be beneficial just to sit down and talk about our impressions of the book, what we learned from it and were encouraged by, and especially some of the parts of it that apply to people who are recovering and healing from the wounds of infidelity. Yeah. When I read this book, it reminded me of another book. The Gifts of Imperfection by Mm -hmm. Brene Brown. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Very similar themes of shame and worthiness and purpose of life, all that sort of stuff. How would you describe the difference between this book and that one? Because probably a lot of our listeners are familiar with Brene Brown.
1: I would say Brene Brown's writing style is more like straightforward, conversational. Whereas uh, Kelly Flanagan's style is a little bit more teaching he sounds more like he is actually teaching a lesson and he actually has all those little cute little, well, they're cute, but they're really powerful sometimes too, um, one-liners that are easy to remember and then quote again, but that are really impactful. Brene Brown's much more kind of straightforward, just like she's talking to you mm-hmm. like she's a friend of yours. In your well, Brene
0: Brown comes from a research background mm-hmm. and she's a storyteller too. So she gives a lot of examples. Mm-hmm. Her book's very good. We've recommended a lot. The way I thought about it is hers, I saw as kind of a textbook, mm-hmm. an interesting one, a good one with a lot of examples. And Kelly's book is more like a devotional. Oh,
1: yeah. well <laughs> that's, Yeah, I feel like that too. I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. There's more spirituality. Yeah. More mm-hmm. of like a...
0: But very similar themes. Yes. He breaks the book down into three parts. Uh, the first part is...
2: Is worthiness, you are enough.
0: Okay. You are enough. And that certainly is part of the Brené Brown theme as well. Absolutely. Yeah. The value that we have as individuals, which a lot of times we don't realize the stuff that gets in the way of that, especially shame, which both authors talk about. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily shame because I'm a bad person, not guilt, Mm -hmm. but that sense of I'm not enough. The first part of the book does deal with that theme of worthiness. You are enough. Mm -hmm. The second part of the book. Belonging. You mm -hmm.
1: are not alone.
0: What is that? What he talks about in that section, he talks about that this is not an uncommon experience. A lot of times in the privacy of our own thinking and feeling, we do feel isolated. We're afraid to even be honest about the stuff we struggle with. He points out the fact this is a universal condition. We share this with humanity, a lot of the things that we deal with. Mm-hmm. And then he moves on to the third section of the book. He talks about passion and purpose. And what I appreciated about that part of the book, it wasn't just this formula of, well, here's a test you take to figure out what are your interests and abilities and passions to help you move towards that. It's, it's a much more honest and subtle and realistic perspective of what it means to understand your passion and to pursue it. And if the result of that isn't necessarily going to be that you are going to change the world if you just name it and claim it, but it is going to make a difference to you. And it's probably going to make a difference to the people who are close to you. So so we'll maybe talk a little bit more about each of those areas. But I thought what would be more beneficial to this conversation and to those who are listening is to be specific about those parts of the book that stood out as applicable to people who are struggling with healing after an affair. So let's just be kind of open-ended. We might skip around. But let's talk about some of those parts, some of the quotes that apply to the people listening to this podcast.
1: So I have a lot of clients who struggle with the idea of boundaries, knowing what a healthy boundary is, about understanding what that means when people say it. Because you hear it a lot nowadays, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like people are always talking about boundaries. You've <laughs> crossed my boundaries. you know. But I think there's so much misconception about it. Brene Brown's quote right at the very top of chapter 17.
0: He quotes Brene Brown. He quotes <laughs> Brene Brown.
1: And the quote is, daring to set boundaries is about having the courage to love ourselves even when we risk disappointing others. Mm. And that just stood out to me so much because I was like, yes, so many of my clients feel like when people are abusing their boundaries, not treating them well, they feel like it's somehow mean or wrong, selfish selfish to stand up and say, no, that's not okay what you're doing to me. And that idea, I feel like... Sometimes it's more common in women, mm. but, you know, that is a generalization. I totally understand that. So I'm not saying that, you know, across the board it is, but I think sometimes we, as women culturally, we get the message that we should be very nice and very sweet and say yes, and don't disappoint and be people selfless. And be selfless. Yeah. And, and I think that we are raised with that culturally. And then it kind of bleeds into this thing of being a mom and being a wife and being also being an employee while we're being a mom and a wife and always taking care of everybody else even when it's hurting us in some way you know I run into clients a lot who are really kind of confused about what does that mean and when I first will present the idea of well why didn't you just say no they look at me like well uh, uh," they're horrified you know like say no that person would be so mad at me or that person would be so disappointed in me i can't let them down like that and i'm totally guilty of this like i've done it my whole life but i see it in my clients a lot and i'm always trying to gently kind of guide them toward it is okay to have a healthy boundary there is absolutely nothing wrong with saying no i can't do that this other quote by kelly flanagan that's like right on the next page from that Brene brown quote He says, the inability to set personal boundaries is one of the most common, insidious causes of human suffering. And I'm like, yes, it is. It's like we suffer because we don't learn how to have personal boundaries that are healthy in our lives.
0: I would think that probably half of the sessions I had yesterday with clients dealt with the struggle of a betrayed spouse to establish boundaries Mm -hmm. in their relationship, even though in many of the instances, the unfaithful partner, the unfaithful spouse was still acting selfishly, maybe still involved in the affair. And yet the betrayed spouse questioned their right to establish boundaries because a either they thought, well, that's not a loving thing to do or they were accepting blame for the problems of everything or, and at the root We don't establish boundaries because we are vindictive or because you're angry. You establish boundaries because you care enough about yourself Mm -hmm. and you're moving in a healthy direction. And honestly, that you even care enough about the other person. Mm -hmm. To no longer allow them to act in the broken, selfish ways that they've been acting. To be the adult in the relationship that is saying, hey, this isn't okay anymore. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to make any changes, I'm going to make changes. Mm -hmm.
2: I think a lot of times the betrayed spouse fears that they put those boundaries in place. It's only going to further push Mm -hmm. that unfaithful spouse away. But it's actually one of the healthiest things, Tim, like you were saying, that you can do in a situation where the unfaithful spouse is maybe not changing what they're doing or saying they want to even end the affair. You need yeah. to put boundaries in place for your own protection and for the sake of the relationship.
0: Yeah, one of the wives asked me that. Well, if I do that, won't that you know push him the other way? I said, I don't know. It depends on his heart, It depends on the direction he's already moving. Mm-hmm. But you might as well know what's there <laughs> underneath the surface, because if he's only staying because you don't have any boundaries and you're willing to accept responsibility and you're the one that's trying to make that, that's to his advantage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you care enough about yourself to establish boundaries, it's going to force him into a different kind of consideration about his choices and about this relationship. And at the end, he chooses to stay disconnected to you and stay involved in the affair or just leave your marriage. Mm -hmm. That's his choice. You've got to let him make that choice. You've got to make the choices that are healthy for you. And by the way, if you are acting in a healthy way, that person, when they recognize the healthy boundaries are established, it forces them to consider the questions differently, to examine their own choices from a different perspective uh, than they had to before. And they may end up leaving the marriage, or it may be the thing that pushes them to a different consideration to step back in and try to do the repair work. But bottom line, caring for yourself is establishing boundaries
1: a really good example Kelly Flanagan gives in the book is of his little daughter. And I can't remember exactly how old she was, but he said like every morning he would come up and give her a hug. And there was this one morning, she's maybe like five or six. This one morning he went up to give her a hug and she just put her hand out and said, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, at first he kind of got selfish about it and was kind of like offended. But then he realized, wait a minute, that's really healthy that if she doesn't want a hug, She shouldn't be expected to just let people hug her whenever, even if she's not comfortable with it. And she did it in a really polite, lovely little way. No, thank you. (laughs) You know, there was nothing wrong about that or anything. She was just really kind of establishing her own personal space. And he realized how neat that was, you know. And so he said, the quote he says here is, he says, I want her to know she still has a place to belong even when she doesn't give herself away. I want her to know she doesn't have to get into the backseat of somebody else's life.
0: Yeah.
1: You know? And I'm like, that is so key. And that's the kind of thing I think we're told so often as children is like, oh, you have to allow these things. No, no, you really don't. And that's where we get confused. And as we don't feel like we're enough in and of ourselves, we feel like we have to like, you know do what other people want us to do so they'll like us because we're not enough in ourselves. So we have to act a certain way to get them to like us, you know? And I just thought that is so fantastic. Um, and then he, these two little paragraphs here, I think were just like amazing. He said a stiff arm, meaning her little, like she put her arm out and said, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. He says a stiff arm gives us the kind of space to decide what we want, what we value and what we will or will not let happen only after we've created space with a stiff arm the space for our true self to decide what is the most loving thing to do for everyone involved including itself does a yes become a true yes and he said it's going to be a little scary to let your soul speak and set a boundary for you because you run the risk of disappointing people offending them and perhaps even making them angry that's okay in the first act of life you learned to embrace yourself But in this second act, you learned you don't have to be embraced by everyone else. And I just thought that is so powerful because that's kind of the lie that we buy into is that somehow by disappointing others, that's like the worst thing we can do. And that's just not true.
0: You know, this isn't a parenting book, Mm -mm. but there is a lot in here. Mm -hmm. Not only that informs us about our own parents Mm -hmm. and the experience of that and many times the wounds of that. But also, if you are a parent, there's a lot in this book that will challenge you in regards to how you respond to your own children Mm -hmm. and bringing them up with a firm message of being lovable, Mm -hmm. establishing healthy boundaries in your life, Mm -hmm. knowing the purpose of your life, that sort of thing. So It's kind of an added benefit of reading this book. What's another quote that stood out to you?
2: Um, So the quote is, because when someone can't see the goodness in us, it doesn't mean they're bad. But it does mean they're bad for us. We can't change anyone's opinion of us because we can't convince anyone to see us differently. We can only give them opportunities to change and chances to see us for who we really are. However, when they don't or won't or can't, the thing we can control is what we do with their relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're talking in terms of infidelity and affairs, Mm -hmm. you can give your partner every chance to see you... To feel that belonging and if they choose not to you can't control that you can't control them and it doesn't make you a bad person doesn't necessarily make them necessarily a bad person maybe a broken person well and like what he said he
1: said it doesn't make them a bad person it means that they're that they're bad for us you know what I mean it's not that they're bad or you're Mm -hmm. bad it means that if they are not in a place that they can actually come to be vulnerable with you and love your vulnerability and do all that work together then you know your choice is What does that mean? What do you do with that relationship? And And, I think. And
0: and don't you think that that difficulty and the failure to recognize your own value and worth is at the root of a lot of betrayed spouses over involvement, taking responsibility Mm -hmm. for fixing things, not being able to let go Mm -hmm. because they need that other person to validate, no. I need to know that you choose me. Mm-hmm. I need to know that I'm the one that you are going to love. Mm-hmm. So they're fighting for that, fighting for that. Instead of being able to acknowledge themselves, I didn't deserve this. Right. And I am worthy of love. I am valuable, whether they give it to me or realize it or not. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have to fight for it. I just have to accept it and be able to move forward in a way that's healthy for me and invite them back to this relationship, invite them to love me again. But if they're not willing to do that... I can be okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because in a situation as a betrayed spouse where you did not control what happened, you did not choose to have this affair happen, everything feels so out of your control, he's saying what you can control is what you do with that relationship. Mm-hmm. So based on the behavior of your spouse, if they're not willing, can't, won't, whatever, you choose what you want to do in the end with that relationship. Mm-hmm. You. Gain some of that control back. Right. Yeah.
1: I've asked clients that in, in various situations. I've been like, when they relate a story to me about something where somebody was just being awful, da, 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 da. And I will just, at the end of the of their anecdote, I'll say, what could you have controlled in that situation? And they'll usually think about it for a bit and just said, I could have walked away. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. bingo, you know? I mean it's at that point, you cannot control that other person. You cannot control their dysfunction, which is leading them to treat you badly, but you can control saying, I'm not going to do this. I'm sorry, but this is inappropriate and walk away, you know? And in fact, I take that back. Don't even say, I'm sorry. Just say, I'm going to end this because it's inappropriate. When you're ready to talk to me in a respectful and adult way, we can talk about it, you know? Um, That is just so hard for people to do. You know, and I've been guilty of that, too, where it's felt very, very uncomfortable. And, oh, how can I just walk away? Isn't that a terrible thing? Doesn't that mean that I'm a mean person? It's like, no, absolutely not.
0: In the third act of his book, the third section, he talks about our purpose and the passions that are behind our purpose. And as I read the book, I thought there's a lot of application, especially to those who have been wounded in an affair and whose expected futures have been dashed. The thing that they thought was always going to be what they would experience for the rest of their lives, now that's ruined. They don't know what the future looks like. And for many of them, in that rubble, as they sit there trying to figure out what's going on, they question whether their life really has any purpose anymore. Maybe everything has been shattered, ruined. They feel a little bit hopeless. And I think this section of the book really speaks to the hope that we can have and what purpose in our life really does mean. Uh, What in this chapter stood out to you, or this section?
2: For me, what really stood out was he told the story of the comedian Stephen Colbert who lost his father and two brothers in a plane crash when he was 10 years old. So he talks about how Colbert turned to improv, and what he says is the key to getting up on stage without a script, the key to making art in the midst of the mess, is learning to love the mess. And so often for the betrayed spouse, they just feel so hopeless that this was a bomb that was dropped on them, and they almost feel like they're just going to die from the pain of it. You you don't have to be defeated by suffering. And that's exactly what he says. It doesn't mean you're defeated by it. You just accept that it's part of your story now, and you got to learn to love the bomb. That's the other quote. you got to learn to take what happened and use it to make you a better person or to grow as an individual or maybe even grow in your marriage. It doesn't have to be the end of the story.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm like, uh, on that same page, like toward the bottom, Flanagan says, our passion becomes our purpose when it redeems our pain. And I had written in the margin here when I read that, I said my traumas led me to counsel others with traumas. Yeah. Part of my story, not only was my first marriage fraught with infidelity, but even earlier than that, as a teenager, I was sexually assaulted twice. I had an abusive relationship, like physically, mentally, emotionally abusive relationship for a long time as a late teen. And that is why... I have a serious passion for helping my clients come in when they have those kinds of things going on in their lives. I am so desirous of helping them, yeah. you know, through it too. Because I, I get it. Well, that, that's what grace is, mm-hmm. you know.
0: It comes in and not just despite all the brokenness and failures and all those things in our life, but through them, sometimes because of them. Mm good things, beautiful things come about. It doesn't redefine the bad stuff and all of a sudden make that good. It just recognizes, but that's part of my story now. I can't undo that. Mm -hmm. If I could, I probably would. Mm -hmm. I can't undo that. But how does it fold into the rest of my story? Mm -hmm. Does it fold in a way that's good? Or does it fold in a way that just keeps me broken and hopeless and in despair?
1: And weirdly, sometimes I wonder, would I change it if I could? At this point, because I've seen how it's been redeemed in my life, mm-hmm. I almost have that time where I go, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't change it if I could, Yeah, which is so weird that yeah. I would even <laughs> yeah. think that, but then again, I, it's well, not. And he even says yeah. right here... I love this quote, Stephen Colbert says, it's that I love the thing that I most wish had not happened.
0: Yeah, no that is for cool. me it's a little bit different. I'm the one that had the affair. Right. Long time ago. <laughs> right. So, that's different. So I mean and at the same time I can see the benefit of grace and change that happened in my life because of everything that happened there. But I have no question that if I had the ability, I would go back and change it. Not because of what it did to me. But probably more because yeah. of I know of what the pain and the injury inflicted on others. Right, you that know? is different. That's yeah. very different. Yeah.
1: yeah. No, I totally understand that. No, but I mean that thing of you know it's that I love the thing that I most wish had not happened. Yes. It's like happened to me. <laughs> you <Yeah>. could <laughs> add the to me at yes. the end, yeah. you yeah. know, because um, of that because I think you touched on something though that it's very very different though, and that is that forgiving yourself for Mm -hmm. things that you've done is a different animal, really, than forgiving other people Mm who've done something to you. It's very different. Well, he
0: talks a lot about grace in this book. He talks a lot about shame in this book. And again, not just the shame of I did something bad, but that thing that we tell ourselves that, I am bad or I am I'm inadequate. Yeah. I'm, en- I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. One of the quotes in the book, he says that shame is a wound that pours salt on itself. Mm-hmm. And when someone is struggling with shame, we just see that it continues to be a wound that self-inflicts mm-hmm. over and over mm-hmm. again. Yeah. And yeah. recognizing that I don't care if you're a betrayed spouse. I don't care if you're an unfaithful spouse. I don't care if you're the person that was the affair partner in all of this mess. Mm-hmm. That on the other side of it, you have value in your life that whatever message you tell yourself about your own worthlessness mm-hmm. is not the truth right you can look at the acts and choices you make have made make whatever judgment you need to make about those but who you are as an individual who you can be and the story you tell is something that's very different
1: Well, you know, it's interesting, as you were saying, it reminded me of this other thing that we were talking about before we started recording even about the voice of shame. It says the voice of shame within us is crafty, not necessarily because it is saying bad things about us, but because it is saying partial things (laughs) about us. And he says, basically, the voice of grace doesn't challenge the story I've been told by my shame. It totally subverts it by reminding me of the rest of the story. The voice of grace doesn't try to disprove the voice of shame. It doesn't do a, yeah, but, it does a, yes, and, meaning that it tells you that you did screw up.
0: Yes. You don't have to, you don't have to sugarcoat that. Right. (laughs)
1: You screwed up and you are still worthy and lovely. Yeah. not. But you're still it. Instead, Grace says, yeah, you screwed up and you are still intrinsically so, worthy. And so lovable. what
0: are the different ways that message would come into the people who have dealing with affairs? It would be to the unfaithful spouse. Yes, you were unfaithful. You cheated. There's no excuse for that. We don't sugarcoat it. And your life still has value. And there can still be redemption in your life. Mm -hmm. And that may be the wholehearted restoration of your marriage. It may lead to other choices. I don't know. But Mm -hmm. there's a story of grace. Mm -hmm. That's the message to the person who has been betrayed. Mm -hmm. Yes, your marriage has been deeply wounded, maybe destroyed, Mm -hmm. and... That pain takes you to a different chapter that mm-hmm. is still good, that mm-hmm. still has value, maybe it has a beauty in it that you haven't even been able to recognize yet.
2: Nope. Probably can't yet. No, no. no. In fact,
0: I think most people sitting here listening to that, you know, I maybe know. maybe wince I and go, Oh <laughs> I know. you know, that just can't be true.
1: I know. And if I hadn't lived it I would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't already gone through that first marriage, it was so painful. Oh my gosh, I thought I was losing my mind sometimes. I really did. And now, like the fact that, you know, a few minutes ago I said, I can actually say, I don't know that I would have changed it if I could, because now I have a a knowledge of what it feels like to be that person that I can totally bring that knowledge to my sessions with my clients and really empathize with them on a level that I just don't think I could have before. I mean, I still could have been compassionate, but I don't think I really would have really deeply gotten it. It reminds me, I think a quote you
2: like, the beauty from ashes. Yes.
1: Yes. Yes, Jesus gives you beauty for ashes. Yes. It's like you give him ashes and go, Here you go. I don't know what you're going to do with that. And then he goes, Thank you. And he takes them and turns them around into beauty and gives it back to you. Well, you
0: brought some spirituality into this. And I do want listeners to understand that this author, even though this isn't a uh, Bible study book, more than any other writing from him, he folds his faith into some of the examples mm-hmm. of yeah. this. If you're not a Christian or if you even don't have faith, I don't think you're going to be offended by no, this book at all. it's not heavy But But you or... know, if anybody's out there saying, well, I just don't like the mention of God or anything spiritual, well, then you don't want to read this book. It's not heavy-handed, but no. it's definitely... But it's there. It's that's there, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I think of the unfaithful partners and the benefit that this book could be for many of them because at the root of many infidelities is a brokenness inside the person that's having the affair Mm -hmm. that wrestles with issues of intimacy and vulnerability and self-worth. They wouldn't admit it. They probably many times don't even recognize it. Right. Mm -hmm. But they don't have the strength in them that's convinced enough of their own value to be able to stand honestly against whatever's going on in their marriage and speak to it honestly and openly. In fact, they'll just kind of stay quiet in that shame that they have inside of them. And the first voice that comes along and speaks into something different, they will tune into that. Mm-hmm. And it will feel like uh, water to a hungry soul, you mm-hmm, know. And mm-hmm. they'll go after it because it makes them feel, oh, at least I'm valuable to you. Mm-hmm. And in the healing, if after you've had an affair for many people, not everyone, but for a lot of them, it's it's really coming to grips with an honest understanding of who you are and a proper understanding of the story you want to tell with your life. Mm -hmm. I just think this book, if someone that needs to understand and needs to have clarity in that regard, would read this, take time to think about it, it would be helpful in taking the next steps forward in a healthy way and probably make you more capable, most of the time, of stepping back into a marriage. Maybe sometimes make you confident of stepping out of something that's really unhealthy. Either way, Mm -hmm. it's an important process of thinking and consideration for someone to go through. If you're listening to this and would like to know more about the book, go to affairhealing.com slash podcast 211, and we will have some show notes there, some quotes from the book. Uh, we'll have a link to where you can purchase the book if you want to. And by the way, if this has struck a chord in you and saying, this is something I know I need to deal with and would like to talk to somebody about it, All three of us on this podcast are available for coaching. Just go to affairhealing.com slash coaching and you'll get information how you can have a phone conversation with us. And we'd love to kind of come alongside you and talk you through some of these things and and help you with it. Those along with many other resources, the first aid course, all that stuff on affairhealing.com. Go make use of it. And we hope that the strong message you will get out of this, that you are someone who is lovable. You Mm -hmm. are someone who, despite all the brokenness and pain and difficulty you've gone through, there is something that is good still in the chapters of your story. Mm -hmm. And we hope you will claim it and live it. The Recovery Room Podcast is a resource provided by AffairHealing.com. For more information about the podcast and resources for Affair Recovery, including archives of past programs and the schedule for upcoming ones, please go to affairhealing.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Tim Tedder. See you next time.